The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Terrifying Lies Podcast, where madness meets mayhem with a grin. I'm your host, Craig Nibo. A while ago, I became intrigued by the concept of hypnosis. I have a friend who excels at crafting incredible, uplifting, guided meditations designed to help people find solace and serenity in a world that often seems unrelenting. But me, well, I embark on a different path, a much darker one. I set out to create a series of guided meditations, but mine, they're nightmares. I call them hypno-nightmares. These hypnotic horrors start with an eerie induction leading the listener into a trance, a doorway to a world they never wish to enter. Within that trance, I weave a sinister suggestion, immersing the listener in a terrifying narrative, placing them directly in the heart of the unfolding horror. And, of course, the experience concludes with an awakening sequence, bringing listeners safely back to reality. You may have already encountered one of these sojourns in the first season of Terrifying Lies, episodes 3, 5, and 6. These episodes featured a story named Old Hicks, But today, I have something else in store for you. It's the first part of a new nightmare, a bespoke horror experience I have crafted just for you. It's called Evil Exhumed. I won't share the induction and awakening components of the hypnotic experience. For now, I will only present the suggestion or story portion of the nightmare. Brace yourself for a descent into darkness in the first person. I recommend you find a quiet, dark place to close your eyes and listen for maximum impact. Welcome to a world where your deepest fears come to life. I now give you Evil Exhumed, part one of three, written and performed by me, Craig Nibo. It's not that you're opposed to capital punishment. It's just that, as the chief of police in the small town of Brightland, you've seen enough of the bad in people that you have no interest in watching the evilest of evil cook in the electric chair in that dreary concrete room on the south end of the Sandalwood Penitentiary, a castle that sits on the outskirts of town. On the night that Leon Mitchell fries, you sit on a porch swing in front of your home, unable to sleep holding a glass of iced tea, rocking gently. You swear that the porch light flickers just at the stroke of midnight. You wonder if that flicker marks the moment when old Sparky draws its death current from the grid to put Leon Mitchell down for good. You don't feel sympathy for the man. The judge slammed him down on death row after a jury of 12 found him guilty of 36 counts of rape and capital murder. If anything... Leon Mitchell should die twice for what he's done, much of it within spitting distance of your hometown. But you don't have the stomach to go and watch, even though your friend, Melvin Ball, a security guard out at Sandalwood, made sure you were invited. You finish your tea and head to bed, hoping that you can find sleep. As you change and slip beneath the covers, you have no idea that the horrors of Leon Mitchell haven't ended. Horror like you've never imagined 
lies in the offing, ready to visit Brightland. Population 13,000. That is if you don't count the 4,000 inmates locked up in Sandalwood. Without much else to do as police chief, you spend the next couple of days busting speeders and seeing to petty grievances called in by the good citizens you've sworn to protect and serve. Leon Mitchell's execution drifts away, far from your mind, replaced by the grind of your job. That is until your friend, Melvin Ball, calls you on your cell. You should have seen it. His head started to smoke. He danced like an organ grinder's monkey when they charged him up. He got what's coming to him, you say. I would have thrown that switch myself ten times over if I had the chance. You know, they posted photographs of all the women he killed down at the post office. I saw him, you say. Makes me sick. That and the media circus kind of feels like an homage to evil. My opinion, they should put him down like rabid dogs at the pound. Nice and quiet-like, you say. We're putting him in the ground tonight. I'm overseeing the digging crew myself. You're not putting him in Brightland Cemetery, are you? Not a chance. It's the prison cemetery for Leon Mitchell. Nobody's gonna ever come visit him. Why would they? You talk with Melvin for another few minutes, chatting about the weather and the grind of work and living. In the end, you make an excuse and hang up. It's just you in the road now, all quiet. It's gonna be a late shift tonight, so you decide to make a stop at Bev's Coffee on Main and Spirit Avenue. Beverly, the owner of the diner, tops off your coffee cup as you finish a piece of apple pie. For as long as you remember, a sign that reads, Free Coffee for Cops, is hung in the entryway of a restaurant. Even more, you've learned that if you can talk smooth enough, Beverly sometimes throws in a piece of pie. I hate to admit it, but business is up, Beverly says. I hate that our only local celebrity climbed the charts because he killed women and cooked in the electric chair. But it hasn't hurt my diner's bottom line none. I suppose one can always find a golden lining, you say. You instantly regret your words. Seems the ghost of Leon Mitchell has left a cloud over the community. The diner seems more silent than usual. Crowded with the usual faces, Brightland regulars, plus a few out-of-towners, serial killer groupies and media types. They don't bother you with their questions. You've done a good job of telling them that you are not willing to make any statements about Mitchell's death. You thank Beverly and drop a good-sized tip on the table. The night chills you as you walk out onto the sidewalk. You zip up your jacket and get into your cruiser. You find one of your usual speed trap locations and park behind a copse of poplar trees. It's time to add to the revenue coffers of Brightland City. You turn on your radar and settle into your seat. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies podcast. An old Ford truck rushes by at better than 15 miles per hour above the speed limit. It's Earl Jakes. You know he's lost his job and can't afford to pay a speeding ticket, so you let him go. He's probably headed to his old trailer up by the state pen after putting a couple down at Bixby's Tavern. You give him a pass. He's a good guy. Before you can think about it, in the confines of your warm cruiser, with light music playing and a comfortable tempo, you drift off to sleep. Your radio cracks to life, breaking you from your doze, cursing yourself, 
You check the time. You've been sleeping longer than you thought. Nearly four hours. You know that the commissioner will have your guts for this if she ever finds out. Sleeping on the job? That's a firing offense. Margot Kleiner on dispatch. Repeat your name twice as you come to your senses. You suspect that she knows you've been sleeping. But she has the good sense to keep it under wraps over the radio waves. You pick up the handset. What is it? You've been away from your radio? Been trying to reach you for ten minutes. No, uh, just, uh... Never mind. We got a 4532 up at Sandalwood. You need to get to the penitentiary. 4532, that meant an escape. What the... Why would anyone attempt to escape a prison on the heels of Leon Mitchell's execution? The press crawled the streets, poking for stories wherever they could. Escaping Sandalwood could mean instant media attention. Not the time for a convict to become a celebrity. I'll get there, you tell Margot. Is the warden leading this? That's the weird thing, Margot says. He's MIA. I've been on the phone and I can't reach him. Who called it in? Earl Jakes, she says. You just cut Earl a break for speeding and probably driving under the influence. He isn't the kind to make bogus police calls. I'll stop at Earl's place on my way to the pen, you say. See if you can get some help. You are the only cop on duty in this one-horse town. You know Margo will have to wake up Bruno Sheridan, your deputy, and probably rattle the chains of some of the guys from county. You leave your speed trap nest and head towards Sandalwood Penitentiary. Earl Jakes lives in an out-of-the-way double-wide within spitting distance of the prison, with property value set at nearly nothing in proximity to murderers and rapists, and with Earl not giving a damn, Fifteen years ago, he purchased a third of an acre, began his establishment with a pile of old tires and a stripped-down skeleton of a 1953 Willys Jeep scattered on his land. Since moving in, his yard had expanded into a scrapyard of old metal and junk. He recognized the truck that had sped by earlier as you pull along his drive strip up to his trailer. You get out of your cruiser and crunch on the gravel toward his front door. From the corner of your eye, you catch a glimpse of movement. You turn in that direction only to see Earl's monuments of junk. Old cars, tires, burned out kitchen appliances. Something could have easily moved within the obstacle-clogged yard. You chalk it up to nerves and continue toward Earl's front door. As you mount the sideways canting porch, you notice that Earl's front door has been smashed in. Splinters of it speckle the porch. You slow your approach and Put a hand on the grip of your service pistol. Earl, you say as you move toward the door. A sound from the yard catches your attention. An odd, gurgling choke. Half animal, half human. You stop, turn around, and back up against the double wide, keeping your hand on your weapon. You scan the front yard for a sign of whatever made the noise. Something moves, jetting out from behind a stack of tires, running across a clearing in the junk, ducking behind an ancient refrigerator. It moves too fast for you to make out. All you see is its color, orange. It stands as high as a man and moves with such speed that you can't make out more than a streak through the moonlight. Earl, you say, continuing your advance, keeping your eyes on the old refrigerator. You push on the broken door, swings in on a single hinge. You duck into Earl's double wide and draw your service pistol all at once. Being a hunter, you know the metallic scent of blood. The pungence smothers you as you walk into the trailer. 
Doesn't take long to see the origin of the smell and the reason Earl hasn't responded. Pieces of Earl Jake's lie strewn all over the front room of the double wide. His legs lie bent kneed over the back of a couch. Trail of his intestines unspool across the room. One of his arms looks as though someone tossed it on the coffee table. You spot his head sitting on top of the television set, staring back at you through a pair of wide-open cadaver eyes. You put an elbow over your mouth and nose as you wheel around to leave. That's when you see the figure standing on the porch outside the broken door. A man, bald. He wears an orange jumpsuit with a number monogrammed on the left breast. You raise your pistol and take aim. On your knees, now! You think you recognize him, but you can't place the name. The man smiles and steps into the double wide. Splashes of blood cover most of his face, especially his cheeks and chin, as if he's just come from a ghoulish feast. The convict spreads his hands expressively as he enters the front room. You think you can stop us? He says. With that... The convict nods towards your service pistol as he takes a step toward you. As he steps into the light, comes to you where you've seen him. His face has been on television lately. In anticipation of Leon Mitchell's execution, the press has shown a light on other Sandalwood Penitentiary death row inmates. You recognize the man as one of those convicts, Shiloh Greaves. He's slated to be executed for double homicide with aggravated assault and kidnapping. You remember his case from nearly a decade ago. He killed two co-eds upstate at MSU. He's just the kind of guy to get chummy with Leon Mitchell. I'm warning you. Get on your knees or I'll shoot, you say. Greaves laughs. Takes a step toward you. You fire, hitting him in the chest. He wheels around on impact and turns to face you again. You haven't stopped him, even with a bullet to the heart. But by the way, breeze and syrupy snatches. You know you've injured him. Greaves regains most of his composure. I'll kill you for that. He runs at you. You unload your weapon into him. Each shot slows his progress, but he keeps coming. Ultimately, after eight or nine shots, you don't count. He collapses to the shag, green carpet in a twitching mound. You have a few shots left, but you load a fresh magazine anyways as you move around Greaves. He lies still on his belly after a series of wet gasps. You reach the door. Greaves moves, his body undulating and twitching. You freshen your aim as you back out of the double wide onto the porch. Your cell phone rings, startling you. You fumble it out of your pocket and look at the caller ID. It's Melvin Ball, your friend up at Sandalwood. As you touch the accept call button and raise your phone to your ear, Greaves draws his hands up under his girth. He attempts a push-up. Pain stops him. He moans and collapses back to the carpet. What's going on, Melvin? You say into your phone. He's alive, Melvin says, his voice on the edge of panic. We buried him in the prison cemetery, but but he came back. What do you mean? You ask. It's Leon Mitchell. He's back. Except something's different. It's like he's not human.
This has been Evil Exhumed, Part 1 of 3, written and performed by me, Craig Nibel. For today's song, I give you a brand new horror ballad based on the nefarious exploits of today's story's bad guy, Leon Mitchell. I offer you The Ballad of Leon.
Well, my friends, it's time to turn up the lights, attenuate the eerie music, and wrap up another episode of the Terrifying Lies podcast. But fear not, my fellow thrill-seekers, for this is not a farewell, but merely an intermission. As we reach the end of another macabre tale, I want to thank all of you, my sinister companions in the art of terror. We share a unique kinship, bound by our love for the dark and unexplained. Whether you're listening from the comfort of your crypt or huddled in your haunted house, your presence has made this journey into the abyss all the more unsettling. But remember, dear listeners, the night is forever young and the stories of dread never truly end. So I invite you to keep your lanterns lit and your hearts full of murk, for we shall return to this room where shadows dance and secrets whisper to continue our journey into forbidden pathways. Until next time, my friends, I bid you sweet dreams, or should I say, sweet nightmares. This has been the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Please, come again. You're welcome here. (laughs) 